This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, giving you the opportunity to get involved and make your community a better place for seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Snymer. America's leading universities have an anti-Semitism problem, and it starts at the top. That's the opening line of an article by two educators that's titled, Why Was It So Hard for Elite Universities to Condemn Hamas Terrorism? That general breakdown of the kind of intellectual and character training that used to be more typical of higher education is something that's really going to need need remediation. And if you're eligible for the vaccine for RSV for those 60 and older, you and or a loved one might consider getting it as there are more complications for older Zoomers who catch the respiratory virus that could lead to hospitalization, including possibly admission to ICU. And most importantly, older adults have the highest mortality rate from the RSV infection, more than six times larger than the rate among children younger than one year of age. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Adults with ADHD are nearly three times more likely to develop dementia, according to new research. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder that affects 4% of adults and is usually diagnosed in childhood can result in restlessness, problems with concentration, and making impulsive decisions. A study by Rutgers University finds those living with a condition are at increased risk of developing dementia, including Alzheimer's, and the significantly higher risk remained even when other risk factors were taken into account. These include age, history of diabetes, depression, strokes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, living alone, and gender. Bad news for red meat lovers. Research finds eating more than one serving per week is linked to a higher risk of type 2 diabetes. Those who ate the most red meat had a 62% higher risk of developing the condition compared with those who ate the least. The research suggests that every additional daily serving of processed red meat was associated with a 46% greater chance of developing type 2 diabetes, one of the world's fastest-growing major health threats. More than 400 million have been diagnosed, but millions more are estimated to be in the dark about the fact they have the condition. With an aging population and alarmingly low fertility rate, Hong Kong's future is in jeopardy. At a time when the nation needs younger generations more than ever, a significant number of them are choosing social exile, where individuals withdraw from society and confine themselves to their home. It contributes to loneliness, school absenteeism, unemployment stemming from societal pressure to overwork and overachieve. Without a substantial, vibrant youth population, Hong Kong faces a threat of economic sustainability. But there are intervention programs underway showing modest success to engage more youths suffering from social withdrawal. 
my first uh, rule is, you know, to have a vision, a very clear vision. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a new book that serves as a guide for a successful life. The 76-year-old says it's directed especially at those who feel aimless and without purpose. The actor, politician, and one-time bodybuilder details how many told him he wouldn't succeed in showbiz, but Arnold went on to become one of the biggest movie stars ever. Be useful. Seven tools for life hits bookshelves this month. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Shortly after the news of what happened in Israel October 7th reached the eyes of the world, condemnation followed. But at least two American academics couldn't believe what they were seeing at, and maybe more importantly hearing and not hearing, from leading universities in the U.S. The two wrote an article titled, Why Was It So Hard for Elite Universities to Condemn Hamas Terrorism? One of their opening lines pulls no punches, quote, What they said and what they did not say provides a window into the culture of intellectual and moral rot and cowardice that reigns at these once great institutions. Co-author Michael Polyakov, adjunct professor of classical studies at George Mason University in Virginia. This was an event of monstrous atrocity. And what bothered both of us and continues to bother both of us, as well as many other thoughtful people, is that there were so many college leaders who could not unequivocally say, an atrocity has taken place, we condemn that atrocity. Make it clear, make it simple. In the same way that we saw institutions properly to cry the killing of George Floyd, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, properly denounced and condemned. Why was there equivocation? And then, of course, the part of this, which we didn't really go into quite so much, what produces a campus culture in which students would pass out posters of a paraglider in other words, would glorify terrorism and issue statements that essentially laid the blame on Israel for being so horrifically attacked, for losing so many civilians in a terrorist attack. Those are the things that motivated us to write as forcefully as we did. Did you find that they were all just trying to tiptoe around? Or did they just not even initially say anything? Did they have to issue several statements till finally maybe getting to where you and your colleague feel they should have gone immediately? Exactly that. We keep asking ourselves, why was this so difficult to see this as a moral outrage against the world? We were not expecting them to come down on one side or the other of the two-state solution or to endorse a political program. We, we, We would not have expected that, nor should it happen from university leadership. But to be unable to condemn in clear, unequivocal terms an act of such monstrosity suggests 
suggested that something is very wrong on campus and very wrong with the attitudes that administrators are taking of, as you said, tiptoeing around something that really should have called for the clearest condemnation. Now, you pointed out to be, and I'm quoting a little bit here, to be fair, some universities have offered proper statements that condemn, you know, what Hamas did. But you say these are few and far between that the U.S. used to lead, but no more. We were very impressed with the statement of the president of Boston University, for example. And I was very pleased to see just today that there is a list circulating of college presidents, university presidents, who are signing on to uh, come out with that, that moral clarity that is so crucial at a time like this. Any message you want to leave with those listening, and but in particular, uh, you know, post-secondary educators? We call for conscience. And we call for some real self-reflection. When we, we come back to these, at times, really quite appalling student demonstrations, we're not calling for any abrogation of freedom of assembly or, or um, any abrogation of freedom of speech. Those are, are sacred values. But we have to ask, who taught these students who raised these people to be so savage that, paradoxically, the same hypersensitive students uh, completely seem to be devoid of compassion. And I think it's fair to say that the monoculture that has grown up on many campuses that has essentially viewed the issues of anti-Semitism as something that doesn't affect them. Uh, this has been a serious gap in leadership. And what both of us hope will come out of it will be an unblinking look at what has been un not done properly on campus. And we'll, we'll call out and get remediation. Uh, I might also add that the absence of serious study of Western civilization, of the principles of what a free society should have, uh, these are things that obviously will lead a, leave a gap. And that, that general breakdown of the kind of intellectual and character training that used to be more typical of higher education is something that's really going to need, need remediation. Michael Polyakov, adjunct professor of classical studies at George Mason University in Virginia. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, hear about the new vaccine for RSV? No? Helps on the way. What we are trying to our report is educate on the vaccine that's just been approved and others that will be approved in the future and what can Canada do to improve prevention of RSV, especially among older adults. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP.
bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca. Remember the triple-demic of last fall and winter? Seasonal flu, COVID, and respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV. With a new highly effective RSV vaccine recently approved for those 60 and older, the National Institute on Aging feels a lot more needs to be done as vaccination rates in this age group are underwhelmingly low. Arushan Arulnambi co-authored the Institute's report on this. RSV, it's short form for respiratory syncytial virus. It's actually one of the main respiratory viruses that impact Canadians. It impacts our airways and lungs, and it causes infection to our respiratory systems. Commonly, it's known as a children's issue because um, most children before the age of two are infected with RSV, and there's a lot of hospitalization with this age group. However, we find that not only is hospitalization underestimated with older adults, but older adults are more prone to severe outcomes, such as ICU admission, also um, requiring ventilation. And most importantly, older adults have the highest mortality rate from the RSV infection, more than six times larger than the rate among children younger than one year of age. What is so interesting in, in Canada recently is that for the first time, an RSV vaccine for adults 60 years and older has been approved. And, um, and, and what we are trying to our report is educate on the vaccine that just been approved and others that will be approved in the future and what can Canada do to improve prevention of RSV, especially among older adults. Are you finding that not too many people know about it, the vaccine being available to them, not enough uh, publicity? There's some here and there in the news. Well, currently when we look at evidence, there's not much out there on, on how familiar are Canadians with the RSV vaccines. But from my experience in this field, I would imagine that more education is required because even with vaccines that have been available for years and are recommended for older adults, not a lot of people do know about it. So I would imagine uh, there should be a big education process with this vaccine having been approved. And is it mine and possibly others' imagination that we've only really been hearing more about RSV since the latter stages of COVID? Uh, no, that's actually a very common opinion. And the reason for this is actually uh, last year. Uh, so just to give a quick uh, note about RSV, it usually happens around the same time as influenza. But last year, we noticed it happened a few weeks earlier and it got coupled with uh, uh, increase in cases of influenza and COVID-19, causing like a triple-demic of three respiratory infections together. And that was when a lot of attention was given to RSV. And um, and it has been in the news just with the recent development of uh, vaccines. So really, would you say then, from your knowledge, that it's actually been around, as you said, it's more common in children, but... Mm-hmm. Not too many associated it with with adults until just the past year or so. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so it has been here for several years, and and actually uh, last year there was a lot of cases with children, uh, but which brought a lot of attention to the infection. And 
and with the recent development of vaccines, uh, we were able, there was, uh, sorry, development when it comes to helping uh, prevent disinfection for older adults, which have been known to face a lot more complications. So it really looks like it's more RSV. The, uh, the acronym has just made headlines more as a result of the pandemic, not that it's really all that new. Could it be a case that a lot of people merely took it as being seasonal flu? Because there are a lot of similarities, right, with the symptoms? Uh, definitely. And, and it's actually for most, uh, the, when they get the RSV infection, they get cold-like symptoms, which usually do recover in uh, one to two weeks. But we are, but the reason the vaccine has been approved because we see for certain populations, such as older adults, those who are immunocompromised, or those with high risk medical conditions, that when that infection lingers, it does cause a lot of issues, such as hospitalization and even death. Is there a major difference with the effect on an older person between seasonal flu? versus RSV? If there is, what is the the main difference, the main threat to one's health? Mm -hmm. So when we look at it compared to other viruses, we see that RSV symptoms actually take longer to appear and actually are more contagious than the flu. And, And also when we look at the symptoms, even though there's a big overlap with the flu, one thing we especially notice is that those with RSV is less likely to have fever, which makes it which makes it prone for especially old adults to go and get this checked up on. Okay, so what are you recommending? The in the title of your report, you say it's time for action. What aside from publicity do you and your colleagues recommend be done here? Yes, so in our report we provide nine evidence-informed policy recommendations that can be used by governments, health authorities, healthcare organizations, and even healthcare providers. These include, one, providing the RSV vaccinations free of cost to certain populations. Secondly, providing clinician education support uh, around these vaccines. As we know, the impact healthcare providers can have in getting more uptake of these vaccines. And, and another one I would like to highlight is also improving surveillance of not only just RSV infections, but also the monitoring of the uptake of vaccines moving forward. Arushan Arulnambi from the National Institute on Aging and co-author of the report addressing the significant impact of RSV infections among older Canadians. It's time for action. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.